Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now we've had a few shows where we've talked about kvike the new yeast from norway that farmhouse yeast out there that is all the rage in the homebrewing world right now generally when we've discussed kvike it's been the history in the farmhouse sense and how to use it to make beers today but today we're talking to escarpment labs we're talking to richard priest the founder and we're going to dive into the science of kvike and a lot more today on Homebrewing DIY. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Building recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on this show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruisin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. 
drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look. I shopped around for a place to post my podcast, and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're going to have a conversation with Richard Priest, the founder of Escarpment Labs. We're going to dive into Kvike yeast, yeast in general, and talk about a bit about their history as a yeast lab. It's, it's going to be a great show. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show comes to you for free week after week. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY and give it any amount. Right now, if you give at the $5 level, we're giving a free gift from our ad sponsor, Scrubber Ducky. So check it out. I think you might see something you would like. So head over to homebrewingdiy.com, click on the support banner, or you could head to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Another way to support the show is to write us a review. You can use podchaser.com, or if you're listening to us on Apple, just scroll to the bottom and write us a review. Your five-star review is going to help others find this show. The last way to support the show is to head over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and you can use our sponsor links. Your prices all stay the same, but if you purchase a brew bag from brewinabag.com or if you head over and do some shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing, your support is going to help keep this show coming to you week after week. As far as announcements go, got a couple of things going on here on the show. First of all, as of this week, this show has been out for one year, so woohoo! We have been a podcast for one year, and boy, have things changed. It's kind of crazy. I started off using a Linux computer laptop from 2013 and have built this podcast studio that you're listening to over the last year. It's become quite the project. And to be honest, I can't thank all of our patrons enough. You are the ones that have helped me build this all out. 
And that being said, I also took a long-needed vacation, just went with the family and the kids on a road trip and saw some some family, grandparents and the such, and it was a great trip and super relaxing. So sorry about things not coming in as on time. For example, I always post episodes on Thursday and I had a bonus episode last week and this episode's a couple days late. Didn't realize that being on the road would be so hard to produce a podcast, but hey, that's all kind of part of the deal. I'll know more and we'll do better next year. Well, that being said, let's hop right into this week's episode where we're going to talk to Richard Priest from Escarpment Labs about yeast. I'd like to welcome Richard Priest from Escarpment Labs. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Uh, doing all right. Well, welcome to the show. I, I'd like to start out asking you how you got started in the yeast business. Kind of by accident, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I always knew that I that I well, at least for. Uh, for a few years, I, I knew that I wanted to be involved in fermentation and in one way or another, really just fell in love with food microbiology when I was uh, in school at the University of Guelph here in Guelph in Canada. Kind of ended up focusing in on beer when I when I moved in to, uh, to a house where there was a guy who was homebrewing and I got into it through through him and uh, realized that, okay, I've got this skill set that lets me you know, grow my own yeast and I don't have to pay for it and that's awesome. And I, I was doing that for a little while. I was also doing some research at the university just as a, as an undergrad student and met uh, this person who ended up being my, my co-founder for the company, Angus Ross. And he was a grad student at the time and said, well, you know, that's cool, but I, I bet that there's breweries that would also pay for this. And, you know, have, have, have you considered uh, selling yeast? Because no one's doing this here in Canada, right? Everyone buys it from, you know, White Labs and Y Yeast and has to ship it across the border. And I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty good idea. Maybe we should do this. So so we basically came up with the idea for the company you know, through that, recognizing that, you know, we had the basic skill set to work with yeast and grow it and no one was really doing it here. So let's let's give it a college try. And it, it ended up blossoming into something a little bit bigger than that. And, uh, and, and I'm pretty happy about that. You know, we've got a uh, bigger team now, uh, a lot of really smart people that are that are helping to make things happen for us, helping to you know get as much yeast out to as many brewers as possible and give them a wider selection of, of strains to work with, wider selection of flavors that they have access to, and you know try to keep uh, the freshness and quality as as high as possible. Let's start off talking about yeast in general. You know, quality and freshness is always important, and you are. Uh, across the border from the United States. What kind of things are you doing to deal with distribution to a different country? You've got to have the, the distribution, you know, on lock. And, and I think that was one of the challenges that brewers are running into is, uh, you know, yeast is coming in across the border. Sometimes it's held up. I know, if, you know, from our experience, you know, we're, we're shipping into the U.S. and Europe now. And, you know, we have to be really on the ball about our paperwork. Otherwise, things things can get held up. And you know, we've been pretty good at, at that. But you know, there is always that risk. Yeah, totally. And and from a home brewer's perspective, I've totally had this happen where I order a pack of yeast online, it gets shipped to me via FedEx or however they get it shipped to me. It comes packed in ice, 
but still when the it, it something happened it got overheated and it just shows up dead absolutely yeah, we do try to include lots of little ice packs in our, our homebrew shipments, like when we're shipping homebrew pouches out to the shops, just to try to incentivize them to give the homebrewers some freebies and keep that yeast cold. How long has Escarpment been in business, and have how long have you been in the yeast business? So the company was founded in 2015, so uh, just over just over five years now. We had our we had our fifth anniversary uh, party celebration. Uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, back in February when the world was normal. And, uh, and, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad we were able to do that. That was probably your last cool party, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're talking about escarpment and other yeast companies, what do you think really sets you guys apart? I think I think we've built a, a pretty strong track record of of often being one of the first yeast labs to discover and validate a, a, a product category, you know, a, a certain type of yeast or a certain type of idea. You know, I, I'm looking at a lot of the things that yeast labs are doing now and, you know, fully recognizing that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all always copying each other. But, you know, I, I'm happy to say that, you know, we we're one of the first to, to put out non-diastatic Saison yeast, one of the first to, to put out Kvike yeast, the first to research and publish on Kvike yeast starting to push a flavor a narrative on you know lactobacillus for flavor rather than just acid berliner weiss brett strains i'm starting to see those come out of the other labs now too so you know i will say uh, i think uh, in a lot of cases in a lot of product categories we're, we're the first to to move on something and say you know this is this is worth spending your time to brew with we think this is cool check it out Let's say I'm a brand new brewer and I don't know what a diastatic yeast strain is. Could you explain to me what that is? So, yeah, when, when, when I say diastatic, what I mean is that, that some of these yeasts have a uh, special enzyme that, that, they, that they can make. And what it does is it can break down uh, starches and dextrins in that yeast's environment. So this is how most Saison yeasts are able to make a super, super dry beer, right? That's what Saison yeasts are famous for is they'll, they'll ferment a beer down to nothing, right? Like sometimes even below, below one, depending on the wort. And that's because they have this special enzyme that lets them just break everything down. On the commercial brewery side of things, this this is risky as hell because if this yeast gets into any other beer that maybe has a little bit of residual starch and dextrin, right? Most beers don't finish at zero. Then this yeast can can wreak havoc, right? It can cause cans to overcarbonate or explode. It can cause off flavors. It can do all sorts of bad things. So there was a lot of demand, uh, especially on the pro brewery side, for something with that flavor profile because people do like saisons. They do like that yeast. Like these are the pretty much the most flavorful yeasts out there, but without that risk. So so we happen to find just in our in our collection of of saison yeast, just you know, in screening them, just so that we were doing our due diligence about this you know, risk factor, we, we found one of the strains didn't have this gene. It has a, you know, a deletion for that gene. So it has the desired flavor, but doesn't produce that enzyme. So therefore it's less risky. It doesn't ferment as aggressively as, you know, a classic Saison yeast that has that diastatic enzyme. But, you know, for the pro breweries, they can solve that problem by making a super fermentable wort or, or by making or using um, just enzymes that like like you're used in brute IPAs that are used to dry out the beer, and even on the homebrew side, I know you know people are also worried about you know diastatic diastaticus. It's uh, homebrewers don't always have a, uh, access to as 
extreme chemicals and sanitizers as the breweries do. So there's always a risk of cross-contamination there. And I know, you know, a lot of home brewers might struggle with, you know, things like bottle bombs and that always sucks. So there's a risk there on that side too. And, and it's, it's nice to, to offer a product that can help solve that problem. Let's jump right into Kvike yeast since I think that's a big reason why we're here to talk. Let's imagine I'm a brand new brewer. I don't know much about the Kvike yeast. Could you give me an explainer of what it is? Yeah, I mean, I can talk for hours about this. I'm, I'm not going to subject you to it, but I'll, I'll give you the, <laughs> the Coles notes. So Kvike are you know, a special family of yeast that come from Nor- Norway um, at its most basic. What's really cool is that there's a living, surviving farmhouse brewing tradition in Western Norway that has basically been passed down from generation to generation without dying out. And, and farmhouse brewing existed everywhere. You know, home brewing existed everywhere in Europe for years and years and years, possibly thousands of years. But in most places, it, it died out after you know, industrialization and, and definitely after globalization. But in, in certain pockets, it's surviving. And there are people that are brewing, you know, the way that grandpa or grandma brewed. Um, and that's really cool because in a lot of cases, they've carried down the equipment and ingredients um, from the traditional brewing. And, and in this case with Kvike, you know, this is the traditional yeast that's used in that part of Norway. And what's fascinating about it is that it has a lot of beneficial characteristics as compared to our, you know, our normal brewing yeasts. It can tolerate really, really hot temperatures and still make clean beers. Like if you pitch a normal yeast at you know, 35 Celsius or 100 Fahrenheit, it's not going to do too well. But these yeasts are happy. You know, they're happy. They're ready to party. So in terms of solving the problem of summer brewing and temperature control, you know, these yeasts are really great for that. Another really cool property of them is that they ferment really fast, right? These are some of the fastest fermenting yeasts out there. It's not unusual for the traditional brewers to pitch their yeast and then 48 hours later, they're, you know, the beer's done. They're drinking it, right? And, you know, that this was something that was, you know, really quite... Uh, mind-blowing to us when we first started hearing about this because you know we didn't believe it we wanted to challenge that it's like no they're, they're drinking half fermented beer you know, there's no way this is possible and you know, we ended up getting some of these kvikis in back in you know 2016 and we were proven wrong and, and that was really fascinating i recently just made a beer using a kvike strain that i made basically a pilsner out of and i fermented it as high as 85 degrees and i was blown away at how clean this flavor and yeast and how well it flocked out could you give me a bit of background as to why it would be so clean even at such a high temperature so they at least on you know the scientific side they they seem to be more resistant to stress than our typical brewer's yeasts as to why that is it's still sort of hard to understand and explain our theory is that is that kvike are, are less domesticated than some of the the yeasts that we use in 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 beer brewing. They they've retained more of the sort of wild characteristics, and in a lot of ways, wild yeasts are just more stress resistant than domesticated ones. Right? It's like wolves are probably going to survive in the wild a lot better than a chihuahua is going to, and it's kind of the same case with with yeast. So that's that's a suspicion. There's obviously science that needs to back that up, but you know that's why we think. Uh, that's happening is just generally wild yeasts are uh, a lot better at dealing with these you know crazy temperature swings and environmental challenges and so you know if you're a california ale yeast and you're very very heavily domesticated you you might have sort of forgot how to deal with those situations where kvike are like oh i've seen this before no problem because they haven't been babied quite as much 
And that's the cool thing too, like you said, you made a Pilsner with it. Depending on the strain and depending on the pitch rate and the temperature, you can you can get super, super clean flavor profiles out of these things, or you can get, you know, really aromatic uh, beers as well, just by, you know, even with the same strain, by, you know, twisting different levers with temperature and pitch rate. Actually, let's talk about temperature and pitch rate real quick. If I were a brewer and I were using a particular strain of Kvike, what are some of the levers I could turn or pull to change things like make a clean beer versus a beer with more esters? Yeah, so the the, the traditional pitch rate for Kvike is is really low, right? You you hear people talk about you know one teaspoon in in a, in a five gallon batch all the time, right? That's sort of the the statement you hear, especially like in the homebrewing communities, and that's fine because that is that is more or less the traditional pitching rate for Kvike. That's not going to yield the cleanest beer. You're probably going to get a lot more yeast character and fruitiness if you're if you're under pitching like that. So if you want a super clean profile, what I would do is is pitch the you know the manufacturer's suggested uh, pitch rate. So you know whatever you're getting from from us or any other manufacturer, you know pitch that because it's going to be a sort of a more standard amount of yeast. You're probably going to get a cleaner flavor profile because those yeasts aren't going to have to work quite as hard as individuals. Temperature plays a role too. So most quikes are are quite fruity if you go above uh, 30 Celsius, 90 Fahrenheit. So keeping it below there, I think for clean flavors and fast ferments, the sort of 20 to 30, so 72 to 90 Fahrenheit range is is the best for quike. If you go lower, then then you start to lose some of the advantages over lager yeast, which are also, you know, a lager yeast will ferment pretty fast at 15 Celsius, like, you know, 60 Fahrenheit. So that's sort of the sweet spot is right there in the middle uh, where they're going to still ferment fast, but not be uh, quite as... Uh, fruity or estery. So confirm this for me. If I were to maybe under pitch or do something to get more of the estery profile, I'm not going to be limited in the time benefits from Kvike. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because one of the things that blew me away about this beer was that when I was making it, just how fast it fermented. I did use the manufacturer's recommended pitch rate. I actually made a starter for this beer, and I was blown away that I dropped 30 points in 12 hours. It was kind of mind-blowing to see that kind of speed when it came from a yeast. Is that something you see with one strain of Kvike, or is that general across all strains of Kvike? Some of them are faster than others, but in general, they're all pretty fast. They're all above average, I would say, as a group, which is pretty cool. We have seen, yeah, like some of them are, are really quite fast, like the the strains from Scara, which which we also sell uh, a couple strains from from that bike as as crispy. They're really quite fast. Uh, same thing with the Hornendal, very very fast fermentation. Voss, like a lot of the ones that that I think you see being. Uh, sold by by yeast labs are are some of the faster ones there there are some that are you know maybe closer to normal brewing yeasts but still <laughs> still you know nothing to shake a stick at but you know across the board they're yeah. they're pretty amazing like across the board with most bikes you can turn around a beer in in less than a week you know from grain to glass yeah it's kind of crazy and it's actually kind of mind-blowing and almost kind of shocking when you're an experienced brewer and 
to be honest, it's the crazy part is you don't even really get that green beer flavor, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I guess there's still some open questions to answer there. But, you know, what we've seen is that a lot of those beer maturation things happen at a faster scale with Kvike, just like the, the actual fermentation happens faster, right? So, you know, if you're thinking about like green beer, often often you're thinking about diacetyl, right? Diacetyl being produced and having to be uh, broken down again by the yeast so that you don't taste that buttery flavor. Uh, that that seems to happen a lot faster in Kvike. Like sometimes you can catch diacetyl if you taste it, you know, less than 24 hours. Um, but often after that, it's cleaned up. In terms of other sort of green intermediate flavors, you might have like acetaldehyde as well, right? The green apple that you get before it's fully converted over to, to ethanol alcohol. Again, that just seems to happen really quickly. Don't often get that flavor in Kvike. And they also, a lot of these strains flocculate quite quickly. So in terms of, you know, yeast always sticks to a lot of the hop compounds, right? They'll, they'll, they'll actually stick to the bitterness, the IBUs in, in the hops, the alpha acids. And that's why you get sort of a yeast, you know, a bite if you've got a beer that has yeast in it and hasn't fully settled out. And because a lot of the kvikes are pretty flocculent, they'll also pull that stuff out relatively quickly and, you know, help to make a, a you know, a beer that doesn't taste green at an accelerated timescale. Yeah, you guys sell a wide variety of yeast is, you know, your traditional California ale type yeast all the way up to sour blends and such. If I were to look for Escarpment Labs at my local homebrew store, is it easier to find in some places than others? We're still working on it. We've got a, a few sort of smaller uh, regional homebrew shops on board and we're we're working on onboarding a, a few other ones. We've solved a lot of the a lot of the uh, the challenges with the you know the shipping over the border, especially with the with the homebrew shops where you know prices is, is everything. So you know what I can say is we're working on on or onboarding a lot of U.S. shops right now, try to make it more widely available. There is a shop just around the corner from us as well called KJ Urban Winery here in Guelph, and they've actually been shipping to the U.S. for for a while now. So I know that a lot of Americans buy our yeast through them, and it's very easy for them to sort of keep stocked up because they can literally just walk over and pick up pick up their yeast. Yeah, you're pretty much getting it as fresh as you possibly can, right? Exactly. There's a few <laughs> places to find it. There's there's going to be more if if anyone's listening and has a homebrew shop, reach out to us. We're happy to chat, and uh, we've got some really exciting stuff coming down the pipe this fall as well. Yeah, and you guys have a really cool program called the Kvikering. Could you give me a little more information about that? Yeah, so so one of the problems that we sort of encountered with 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 the whole world of Kvike is that it's just so big and there's so many things out there, right? There's so many different Kvikes that have been found and discovered and shared and not a whole lot of information on a lot of these things, right? You might get one or two anecdotes from someone about a certain Kvike blender strain on Facebook or, you know, other communities, but there wasn't really a whole lot of info out there. And this is sort of one of the problems we found is like, you know, we want to make Kvike available to, to folks, but we often don't even have that primary experience with a lot of these strains. So, you know, our thought was, can we just sort of shorten that, that chain and, you know, (laughs) 
we're often very careful about what products we decide to release, but this was sort of the opposite uh, philosophy of saying, okay, let's just, uh, you know, pick a list of bikes. Let's just grow them. We don't have to know everything about it. Let's grow it. Let's release it. And let's, uh, you know, work with the brewing community on characterizing these things. And, you know, if, if, if there's a certain strain that people keep asking for, you know, a few months after we grew it, then, you know, that tells us that that was a success and we can shorten the turnaround time on, you know, getting the, the really good bikes into people's hands and making those regularly produced products um, because otherwise it's like so daunting, right? We're sitting on two, 300 individual strains from Kvikes and it's simply impossible to test every one of those. So this was sort of a, a, the kick in the butt that we needed to get more of these things into brewers' hands. And that's been a lot of fun because we've been able to, 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 to find that, you know, certain strains work really well for certain people. Other ones, you know, have, have more challenges and you know, there's been a few that have been really popular to the point that we've, you know, regrown them or, you know, launched uh, different products sort of based on on those ideas. Like the the Lairdalk bike has made a return a few times because it has this really cool pineapple ester. And the all uh, a lot of the brewers were reporting experiences with the Scaric bike about making these super clean, uh, super fast beers. So we were able to take that feedback and develop our, our crispy blend based on, on those bikes to, to really make a product that's custom tailored to to make you know as clean as fast beers as possible one strain that really stood out to me and i'm probably going to say it wrong is the marina farmhouse russian strain could you talk a bit about that yeah so i mean they're completely different simply because that's a that's a yeast from from russia used in russian farmhouse brewing and you know this is i think sort of the next uh, stage of of this narrative is you know everyone understanding that farmhouse brewing and, and farmhouse yeast are not just Kvike, right? Kvike was sort of the first one really popularized. And the reason for that is that these are really, really great yeasts for a lot of different beers, but there's farmhouse brewing in, in other pockets in in Europe. And, and there's special things going on in those places too. So Lars Marius Garshall, this is like the guy that that's you know, basically the reason that Kvike is popular and the reason that everyone is, uh, you know, now thinking or talking about traditional brewing. He's he's made sure to go out of his way to, you know, go to other places like Russia and Lithuania to to also understand and document the farmhouse brewing that's happening in these places. And, and in these places, there there is traditional yeast as well. So, you know, you go deep into Chuvashia in Russia and, and there's these 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 people brewing with traditional yeasts and they're they're completely different from kvike right because they're nowhere close to each other geographically the only thing they have in common is that it's a traditional yeast that's been passed down through generations so yeah marina's not kvike but we thought that it felt within it fell within sort of the kvike ring philosophy of you know let's get more of these things into people's hands you know grown grown well with 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 great quality control and freshness on our side but you know, give people an opportunity to test out these uh, really, you know, kind of obscure uh, yeasts. And Marina is actually a really cool one because I, I think it's quite unique. Very much not like Kvike at all. It's, I would say, if anything, it's closest to a Belgian yeast in character. Like it has the sort of peppery phenols. It's fruity. We really liked it. Really liked it in, in you know, Belgian style beers. It had an almost like white wine kind of character that really complemented Belgian style beers, and you know certainly the, the the traditional beer that it that it's 
coming from is is has a whole lot of rye in it and, and and certainly would be very very different but i thought even even in the context of you know modern brewing if you were to make a you know a belgian triple or something like that with it it would it would work really really well yeah and the the this is a place where i'm actually going to do a bit of a plug of my own show we've actually had lars gashal on the show he would if you go look at the backlog you can see the episode with him we've also had chip from chop and brew on the show where we talked about his trip to norway and his experience with kvike as well those are some shows that we've had in the past where we've talked about kvike as well one yeast that stood out to me as well is crispy could you talk a bit more about that strain yeah i alluded to this a little bit earlier there's sort of two sides to the story you know one was doing this kvike ring uh project and having something new out every month that that brewers can try out and, and give us feedback on and you know that was something we noticed um was that scara s-k-a-r-e um like was was really popular and that people were using it to make lager like beers very clean beers and you know that was the feedback we were getting is like you know you guys should should sell this thing more often because i used it to make a pilsner or i used it to make you know a super clean beer super fast and you know this is really cool and you know on the other side we were seeing that there there's you know a lot of a lot of hype and a lot of interest in Kvike origin yeasts that that can make really really clean beers. You know, our, our initial focus was was on the flavor intensity, right? That's why we sort of led off with Hornendal and Voss and, and everything else because those are really really flavorful yeasts that can do really cool things in beers like uh, New England IPAs. But there's sort of this this second wave, and, and I you know totally credit Bootleg Biology with with setting this trend of you know they have a it's called Oslo that that was you know kind of marketed for clean beers and works quite well um, for that application so you know we saw that and you know and also saw the interest in the the scara and and you know basically sort of pulled that apart tested the three strains in there and picked uh you know really there was one strain that was quite fruity and two that were relatively neutral so crispy is kind of just a blend of the two more neutral strains so that it's not quite as intensely fruity and and helps brewers to make those uh, really clean beers and you know recognizing that and i think this is something that a lot of yeast labs are now jumping on because of the interest in you know being able to turn around super clean beers super quickly you know, we see, I think, Omega Labs has their Lutra as well that they just launched. So we're seeing a lot of options in this space of super clean bikes to, to make clean beers, lager-like beers, Kolsch's, or even if you wanted to use it to make a West Coast IPA in a week, you could do that too. And, and that's really exciting. Now, is that a trend you're seeing with breweries trying to turn around beers really quickly using Kvike? Is that something you're seeing in the market? Oh, yeah. Uh, especially, you know, especially this year, especially this summer with a lot of breweries, you know, reopening after COVID lockdown and really feeling a lot of pressure. Like I think a lot of craft breweries have been selling a lot of beer and pa- having to package a lot of beer. If, if a brewery can, can change their turnaround time from two, three weeks to one week, and get more beer out to customers faster without having to invest in, you know, more more space, more tanks, more capital. That's a huge help to them, right? They can get up and running, be a lot more nimble with 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 their production, fill gaps, you know, when when they when they start running out of beer. So so on the probrewery side, it, it has a huge advantage there in the sense that it can help these guys get beer out the door that tastes good and, and helps them make money and keep the lights on. Let's jump back to the Kvike ring just a bit more. If I were a home brewer and I wanted to become a member of the Kvike ring, what does the process look like? 
Yeah, I mean, so so how it works in terms of the the communication is it's a mailing list. So you, you can sign up to that and you'll get a, an email every month with uh, the information about, you know, what's coming out uh, this month. And, and also, you know, just a reminder of, you know, what we were doing in the past. And, you know, often we'll put in some extra information, just, you know, what's new in the world of Kvike or farmhouse brewing, you know, check out this thing, check out this book, you know, just nice to sort of have that communication all in one place. In terms of accessing the yeasts, the way that we do it is is that the yeasts are, are distributed just like any other homebrew yeast. So the shops purchase from it wholesale and the shops have it available to sell to to their customers. We are exploring direct-to-consumer for, for some of these products, especially with, with Kvike Ring, where you know, some of the shops, especially the smaller ones, might not be able to bring in a whole bunch of these things. But you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. I'm, I'm hoping that, that we're able to, to do that in the fall. Just try to give his, people as many options to to get these things into their hands as possible awesome and if you're a brewer right now listening to this show and you want some more information on the kvike ring head over to escarpmentlabs.com forward slash kvike ring and you can get more information let's talk about your brewing do you still brew and if so what are you brewing these days i do yeah i still somehow find time to brew even when i should probably be doing more important things that that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's actually what my wife says about my brewing in general. Yeah, so, you know, what are you brewing lately? Ah, okay. Uh, I, I always brew saisons. That's, you know, that's really my, my first love. I, I've been making saisons oh, of all descriptors, right? Whether it's, you know, a little bit tart and funky or whether it's clean. I uh, really love brewing those beers. There's so much to learn. There's so much you can do, right? It really is a choose-your-own-adventure uh, the yeasts that are used to make saisons are some of the most interesting and diverse and flavorful out there, and you know that's really exciting. So, always, always got saisons on the go. Um, but beyond that, I've also been definitely working a lot on brewing lagers. You know, whether that's something very traditional, you know, with with European malts and and lager yeast, or whether that's something you know a little bit different with something like crispy and uh, some of the you know wonderful local malts that are made here in Ontario by by Barn Owl Malt, for example. Really love experimenting with lagers. It's almost the opposite of the saison, where it's really not a choose your own adventure. There are rules, there is structure, there's a certain way to do it right, and that's nice too, right? Because it's complete. It's almost completely different brewing. You know, you have to have a completely different mindset between the two things, and I find that fascinating. You know, it's been a big learning experience. Experience. I think I've been making loggers for four or five years, and I, I think I'm just starting to get okay at it, in my opinion. So uh, I like the challenge there too. There, there's, you know, you're never perfect, um, and that's really exciting. And just making small tweaks and being able to observe what kind of difference that makes in the final beer, and then you know, just drinking delicious, clean, crushable beers, always wonderful too. Yeah, I totally agree. I could tell you that with my loggers, it's like sometimes I will get on a run where I make some really great loggers, and then the next time it's just not as good as it should be. But that that's something about loggers. It's something we are always looking to improve. So if I wanted to find out more information about Escarpment Labs and what homebrew shops and where to find your yeast, would that be on your website? That is something we need to improve. Uh, we do have a new website that should be uh, launching in September. So, so that will have all the information as to you know, what, what homebrew shops stock the yeast. We do have a, a homebrew page on our, on our current website that does have a list. I believe we need to update that, but that is on our docket. 
But yeah, we, we do keep a list that is mostly up to date, but recognizing that we are onboarding a lot of shops in, in the US and Europe right now, and that should expand the um, availability of, of these yeasts. And you know, we are putting in some uh, extra space to, to, to package more homebrew, putting in another packaging line for our homebrew yeast so that we can get more of this stuff into, into people's hands. All right, I am going to say that I've never actually used an escarpment yeast at this point. That's because I live in Colorado and none of the local shops near me actually carry your brands of yeast, and that's exactly why. But that being said, if I were to see one of your packages, what does the packaging look like and what's the size it comes in? Yeah, I think we've been a little bit of this like Canadian secret for a little while, but I, I think we'll have the capacity to, to change that in the next little while. We do, we do package the yeast in pouches. That is a pretty common packaging format for liquid yeast. So it's a, a similar size pouch as, as you might see from, from Imperial or Omega, kind of the same format. Target, you know, more than 180 billion cells for the clean yeasts. And then, you know, we, we also offer bacteria, bret, stuff like that as well. But very, very similar format and, uh, you know, try to have a, a wide, wide range available to, to the brewers and try to have these sort of limited edition things like bike ring. And uh, post-COVID, we've been doing some you know, limited edition stuff beyond that, too, just trying to get some, some of the strains that we've been excited about internally into people's hands to get some feedback uh, as well. Let's say I was a homebrew shop and I wanted to carry your yeast. Would I just go to your website and fill out the contact form? Is that how that would work right now? Yep, that's how it works right now. So, you know, if a homebrew shop re- reaches out, we'll, we'll get them all the info they need for, for onboarding, pricing, shipping, all that stuff. Um, always happy to help there. And like I said, we're, 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 we're working on a um, direct-to-consumer approach. That being said, there's some logistics to, to sort out, especially with, you know, getting, getting homebrew pouches into the U.S., but I, I'm pretty confident we can solve that. And, you know, our target for that is the fall. But yeah, for the time being, uh, homebrew shops, yeah, feel free, yeah, reach out, and you know we're, we're happy to work with you. And you know we we've solved a lot of the problems with the international shipping, so you know that that's sort of just running quite smoothly right now. Well, Richard, I want to thank you for coming on the show and taking the time to talk to Homebrewing DIY. Thank you. Sounds awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. I want to thank Richard for taking the time to be on this week's show. We had a great conversation as always. And, you know, I learned a ton about Kavike yeast that I didn't know. So there we go. That being said, you can always follow us on all of our social medias. Head to homebrewingdiy.beer, all one word. Just look for us on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. We're on all of the socials. And... We'll really look forward to talking to you next week on Homebrewing DIY. Mm-hmm.